Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Hanging in there, Justin. How about yourself? I hope you can't hear this, but I'm eating, and I apologize for that. I'm sure your listeners will not mind. I'll stop in the in the interest of professionalism. I see a headline here that F1 is targeting smaller, lighter cars to coincide with their 2026 engine regs. My question to you is, what are the chances that IndyCar will have their new car by 2026 after 16 long years of service? It's humorous compared to IndyCar, who uh, keeps talking about new cars and new engines, but never quite gets there. Well, one guy's not talking about him is uh, the guy who owns the series, who's basically said, I think the current cars are great. Right. So uh, go ahead and add that heavier engine and curve system, and we'll go right along. Don't don't worry about the the cockpit cooling issue. We'll just uh, tell our drivers to work out more and get in better shape, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he doesn't seem uh, overly uh, empathetic to any of that. I, I would think 2026, we're going to have new cars and new engines. I agree. It's just uh, frustrating. It so, was also uh, interesting to me that the FIA basically is prohibiting Liberty Media from doing more of the sprint uh, races. Like, they, they're they limiting how many they can do, right? And they basically voted them down on doing more next year. I think they wanted to do six, and they said, no, you can't do that. Why? What does the FIA have to do with it? <laughs> Well, that's that. I was forced to read that because I always find the whole world of sanctioning bodies really interesting. You know, like where's the FIA get it all its power and so forth. But I build. I, I think it's like almost like akin to the IOC, you know, and and the power they wield around, and the graft and corruption must be epic. I'm sure. But they're high, hiding behind. Well, you know. We don't know how many more officials it takes to, you know, have those races, blah, 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 blah. What are they going to say when uh, Liberty Media wants to expand to 30 races a year? <laughs> well, I guess that's what the Concord Agreement's about, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, And I think the FIA in their uh, answer about why they wouldn't want to do it, somehow they worked in the smaller cars and, you know, how all that was going to go. So it was it was interesting. They were kind of tying a bunch of stuff up in all of that. Uh, I think as IndyCar fans, uh, you know, based on Mr. Penske's comments as of late, it certainly ain't going to be next year, and it certainly ain't going to be the year after. Thought to go ahead and bring on the new chassis at the same time as the new engines is uh, not found a receptive audience at the uh, at the C-suite. Which is strange, because as you know, that suggestion came from, you know, one of the inside deal makers of IndyCar, as you know, Kurt. Well, uh, it's true. I don't know. Maybe Mr. Penske's trying to set him straight a little bit. <laughs> what well, one could only hope. Since you insist on talking about F1. No, I can't get enough of it. Um, Charles Leclerc uh, had his uh, Richard Mille uh, watch stolen from him. I don't know if you caught up with that. No. I have a question. Yes. Why do people wear watches anymore when they carry phones in their pockets to tell them what time it is i can answer that because uh, i my watch uh battery died on me the last couple days right and i didn't have the charger with me when i was traveling the watch so, better the watch battery or your watch, watch battery. battery it's okay. a i have a garmin watch and it needs charging okay regularly okay 
Yeah. So I had a watch, but it was dead. And so I was left with my phone and I found it remarkably inconvenient to look at my phone for the time. Hmm. Plus, my watch does a ton of things. You know, it has GPS, it tracks my fitness and so forth. So it's more than just a watch. Uh, <clears throat> I'll grant you that for a Garmin watch or, a, but, you know, a Richard meal, as you call it, or a Richard. Richard, Richard meal. Meated. Meated. And or a uh, just a Timex. Um, you know, they're not they're not providing those extra functions. I think they're just uh, jewelry. They are jewelry, Kurt. But, uh, in, in any case, so I wasn't going to get into this on this episode, but <laughs> but much like a recent experience I had where I was round, uh, I was at a track where there was a bunch of people who owned very expensive cars that couldn't oh. drive. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so you, you have to ask the obvious question. Well, why do they have it? And you know the obvious the answer is obvious. So they can drive down the freeway and say, "Look at me, it's vanity." Right. Right. Well, in the case of a Richard Mille, which is roughly three hundred fifty thousand dollar watch that was stolen off of Mr. Leclerc's wrist, it's the same thing. Right. Status. It's a peacock. It's a peacock feather. Kirby. Right. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay, so uh, the question about uh, Charles Leclerc's stolen watch is if you might recall, and I'm sure you don't, Landon Norris had the same thing happen to him like a couple of years ago. No, I, stolen watch, right? Uh, that slipped my mind too. Yes. Okay, but what's interesting about this to me is I'm not so sure old uh, Richard Miller isn't behind all of these watch stealings. Because the, the the publicity he's getting out of it is got to be worth at least three hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? Well, so it's a clever all, clever marketing campaign. Is this all just a big setup? That's 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 my question. That's that's where my suspicious mind is going. I'm just saying, how do you get it off his wrist? I, I curb. They have ways. <coughs> I don't know. Okay. You always ask you always you always ask these questions to which there are you know there's an answer, but I don't know it. I, mean, I get the pickpocket thing. You, a good pickpocket can do that, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure a good watch stealer could do it too. I mean, I would think a uh, well-placed uh, scissors or sharp knife and and all that could just get a rip that thing right off him. Well, I just think if it would have uh, drawn blood, he might have had to miss the race. Curb. We all know all uh, every F1 driver is a cold-blooded killer. There's not going to be a drop of blood coming out of him. <laughs> Tell me about porpoising while we're talking about Formula One. Uh, let's not. Okay. Do you really want to know? I just find it interesting that uh, it continues to be a problem in such a high-tech uh, sport. Yeah, I don't think it modeled. You know, it didn't obviously didn't model in the computers. It started to have uh, physical effects on George Russell. He says not sustainable. Well, I mean, if you watched any of that race, I I, I was like wow, that's a bumpy track. And then I was like, oh, it's not a bumpy track. It, the, the car's porpoisey. Right. I mean, you could physically see it. So I, I imagine, you know, we, we like to we like to make fun, but I, I, I imagine it is actually very physically demanding on you because if you watch those cars kind of bounce up and down as they're going very fast, mm-hmm. uh, that can't be comfortable at all. You know, ground effects are not a new thing, so you would think this would see something that could work out. Well, they can work it out by just raising the car, but the problem is, is it's just not as fast. So, right. I mean, like if it was an Indy car, for example, that had that problem, 
they would simply just raise the car up the minimum amount they needed to do it, you know, and make that the regulation. And then it's a non-issue. Yeah, it's part of the deal. And like they, some people got it more right than others. And that's the penalty you pay. And I mean, I, if anything, it's what kind of is good about F1 is like, you know, although it hasn't been the case for many years, um, it is this year, like somebody got it wrong and now they got a car to deal with and they're no longer on top of the heap. So moving gently away from Formula One, Pato Award has apparently uh, uh, benefited from the president of Arrow stepping in and telling Zach Brown to pay his driver. And um, and Pato is apparently a happy driver now. Is that going to make him a successful driver again? Well, I can tell you in the case of me, it's made him a much less liked person. I, I think how he's been very public about this contractual dispute I mean, that article by uh, Nathan Brown, uh, you know, that, you know, he kind of vented to him about the whole thing. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought it was distasteful and not very smart either. You shouldn't dispute your contract out in the open like that. I mean, I know it's a technique and sometimes you need to use it, but I don't it doesn't sound like he needed to use it. And I and, and he just kind of came across as like an ungrateful money grubber to me. I don't know about you, but, I, I you know, he, he's much less likable now. And it sounds like his dad's kind of pushing the pram there well uh, i mean it, you kind of get the feeling that um they're trying to attract other offers so they could trigger that 75 percent match deal right if nothing else he apparently caught the ear of uh the arrow ceo and and uh the arrow ceo apparently stepped in and got things done so not the way i would have done things but uh it, it's worked out for him and uh, i think he admitted to somebody it might have been kevin lee that um Troubling him his first couple of races is he was not he was not focused as like he should have been. He anticipates a better focus and better results going forward. I just think it'll be interesting to see if it translates or not. I, he's now kind of put the pressure really on himself to perform, right? Because supposedly right. all this is done now. So I mean, there's no question he's put, done that. He is acting as if you know somebody put a gun to his head to sign his first contract with them. And well, the reality I mean, is he didn't he didn't have any other options. They kind of bailed him out. Exactly. I agree. He's had some success since then, but it's he's not been a consistent world beater and he's not, you know, won a championship, hadn't won the 500 and none of the big uh, markers in IndyCar that's, that mark you as a star that deserves to get paid. And so I thought it was a little bit presumptuous of him. Uh, we'll see. I guess the next few uh, races should tell that tale, but I think you should uh, stay at the prom with one who brung you. Yeah. Unlike my senior year prom date. Um <laughs> Um, I think that's what you should do. I, I think there was a hundred thousand different ways better to handle this. I mean, I, you know, you could say, Hey, you know, I realized things were different back then, but you know, things have changed a little bit. Do you think you could see it in your heart to, you know, kind of reopen this, this issue and, you know, maybe I'll sign on for a few more years and you give a little bit on my current deal. I mean, there's so many different ways to handle it than how we handled it. And Zach Brown seems to be kind of taking it all in stride. And I get that a driver has to make as much as he can, as quick as he can, because it can be a very fleeting career, right? I get that. I don't really have a problem with him like, God, I got to make some money now. So I, I think that's legit, but this is just not a way to go about it. And I, Zach Brown seems to be taking it very well, but I'm just wondering if he really is taking it all that well. Like I said, reports are that it took the uh, Aero CEO to – to step in and make things happen and strange timing uh, also to have these 
kind of public discussions when they should have been doing that in the offseason. You know, that team just has a history of kind of very public disputes. You know what I mean? They just seem to go from one to the next. Even yeah. with the change of ownership, they still go from one to the next. It's the only team that seems to to be that public about these things. Zach Brown's a pretty public guy. Um, I think. I think yeah, but it it predates his direction, but um, it predates him, right? You know, don't forget yeah. the whole Hinchcliffe firing and all that yeah. kind of. You know what I mean? Maybe if there's a common element to all this, it's the arrow guy. I think the arrow guy gets a bit of a bad rap for actually being decisive, you know, demanding some accountability performance-wise out of the team. Once they saw what Robert Wickens could do in that car, they figured out that it wasn't the car that was holding James Hinchcliffe back, right? I'm not criticizing the guy or complimenting him. I'm just saying if there's right. a common element, he's in it. Yeah, well, that's true. Curb, enough. Enough of this rubbish. Uh, one more thing before we get to uh, Barber, which ostensibly is the purpose of this show. Uh, what is it with Sealer lately? You know, we had the, the, the Sealer, which has been a problem at Texas Motor Speedway, then the Sealer at Long Beach, which – you know, was great and made the speeds wonderful. And now we've got the sealer on the pit exit on ramp to the Indy Motor Speedway Raceway that's sending people flying off of it. Well, you're certainly hearing too much about sealer these days. It's kind of interesting. You never used to hear about this kind of stuff 30 years ago <laughs> anywhere. And now um, I guess it's just like cars and, and all that kind of thing. There's just too much technology involved. That it uh, seems to me that maybe they should be spending more time on the sealers and less time on the tires. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's like Firestone, don't don't waste your time. Work on the sealer that right. goes with your tire. And everybody will be happier. Well, maybe they should go get the stuff from uh, Long Beach and put it on the warm up lane at Indy. I mean, that that could have been uh, a very bad accident, by the way. The, the Will Power Colton Herter thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I, I'm sure you saw like, Power's comments. He said Alex Denardi was flashing through his mind. <laughs> Slid up the track. No, I did not see him say that, but yeah, yeah, that could have been horrible, horrible. So they 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 got lucky on that one, I think. They sure did. Okay, Curb Barber. Okay. Enough enough of this. Barber, Barber, Barber. The upcoming uh, race. Big big crowds. They've sold out Saturday. I mean Sunday's uh, race day. I have heard there might be rain in the forecast this weekend, so that could be a could be a downer. It could be a uh, something that mixes things up and makes it more interesting, depending on your point of view. But uh, um, I prefer them to have decent weather so they can have a decent crowd. So, you know, everything and, goes well. And if you recall, what was it, two years ago, uh, they had, you know, basically got rained out and it was kind of a disaster. Yeah. The restart where willpower <laughs> spins out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hope for uh, a change in the weather. I agree. So, all right, Curb. I think the best way to, to preview uh, Barber is to do our picks. I guess I will have to start off here. It's a bit of a tough one, Curb, but um, I do, I do, and you're gonna you're gonna mock me for what I'm gonna say next. But some thought went into it. I'm going to take uh, a Mr. A New Garden. Uh, I will not mock you because that's who I would have taken. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I thought you know I thought you might mock me because it was such an obvious choice, but I, I don't really feel it was actually that obvious of a choice. Um, but you know, when I look at the field, uh, he his last race there did, did not start well, which he didn't place well because of that. But I, I think I like Chevy's this year, and he seems to have righted the wrongs of the early season and is on track. Yeah, I think they've raced there 11 times, and uh, Penske's won six times. 
So it's a Penske playground. Uh, Newgard himself has won three times there and has always done well. So with that in mind, I'm going to have to come back with Will Power. He's also won a couple times there and uh, many, many uh, time pole winner at the track. You cut me to the core there, Curb. I was really kind of hoping to have Will for myself. A, a, a good pick. I'm not one one that I will not argue with. I'm gonna have to take him because he won last time around, and and he I never pick him, and I always rue the day I don't. Uh, Alex Blau. I think that team does well there too. I think uh, pretty much be a likely to be anyway a Penske uh, Ganassi show this weekend. Does well. You know he won. At least two races last year on the natural uh, road courses. But I'm glad you did pick him because I'm going to go with Scott Dixon, who I think I saw in 11 years has finished in the top second or third nine times or something like that. So. All right. I'm going to go for my next pick. And also uh, for your gamblers out there, this is the guy you want to put your money on for the high odds bet. Do you know what I'm going to say, Curb? Do we have the odds? We do not yet. Okay. You're going to say um, Simon Passion. No, Graham Ray Hall. No, I'm going to say Alexander Rossi. Qualified second there last year. Yeah. Faded, sadly, to the ninth. Faded to ninth. I think the, the Andretti cars had some tire wear issues, if memory serves. You know, certainly if his eyes are really high, a top three, you know, finish pick might, you know, might be a good bet for him. But, you know, if you really want to put a few bucks down on a high odds guy, what I'm assuming it's going to be a high odds guy, uh, uh, long, long odds guy, uh, Alexander Rossi. I think I'm going to stick in the boring lane here and go with uh, Marcus Erickson. Really? He was How'd a you? very, very strong last year at this track. Um, had a, a late issue with, uh, or the team put him out on a test strategy or some, some strange occurrence like that. But, but he was strong until his team kind of crossed him up for the good. That's of the true. Team. And natural road course, that's kind of his forte um yeah. so those aren't terrible but yeah. you know we've left uh and i guess that does our top six curb and um, i am running out of time here I, I think we did leave a few names out of there scotty m v1 uh <clears throat> graham ray hall be another simon pagino would probably be another uh, that would be you know kind of in the mix if you will and pato award i mean there's there's uh there's a few names that you know we've certainly left out. i grow jean too so i don't, don't want to end up mentioning everybody here but you know, those are those are all names that could clearly be in the mix. Well, you know, the award defending pole sitter, I think Grosjean had a pretty good race there last year, uh, if I remember correctly. And Ray Hall, you know, the uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but if he could just qualify a little better. <laughs> yeah, uh, he could really to. be in there. And I think one other thing to look out for this week is that uh, one million dollar bonus they're offering this year to the first driver to win on all three disciplines. It's only the fourth race of the season but joseph newgarden could uh could seal that million dollars if he could win this weekend he already won uh long beach this was the street course in texas for the oval and he's got many many chances to be the first one to win on a on a road course here the rest of the season wow and wouldn't that be disappointing if he won it so early it would really take the steam out of that uh, for all parties involved <laughs> all right thanks. all right curb on that wonderful note and thought twitter at Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. At Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. Sponsors, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and you will get a generous discount. Thanks, Curb. Talk Have a good later. weekend, everybody. Enjoy. Bye-bye.